Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. How's it, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Command Zone podcast. I almost said game nights. That was very, very close. I'm your host, Josh Lee Kwai, and guess what? Hello, everyone. I'm DJ from the Jumbo Commander YouTube channel. He's back, our old substitute teacher. Jimmy is out this week, and so DJ is filling in. I'm so excited to be here because we're talking about a spicy uh, deck. What we're talking about right now is a spicy strategy. One that I think Jimmy might be a little bit jealous that he's not here for. Yeah, actually, I didn't even think of that (laughs) until now. Jimmy definitely would wish he was here because we're talking about aggro decks. A guide to playing out aggro, how to play aggro. Exactly. A primer, how to build your deck, how to pilot it, what the strengths and weaknesses of this archetype can be. Yeah, it's a beleaguered strategy in Commander, and I, I got to admit, um, I'm not great at playing aggro decks in Commander myself. Well, I think that we have a different mindset for what we think aggro is and then what it is in Commander, and I think we're going to be talking a little bit more about that. Yeah, so... That's going to be very exciting. But before we get into everything, we got to make a shout out to our sponsors, cardkingdom.com slash command zone. If you want to build an aggro deck, or maybe you're going to want to upgrade it in some way based on what we're talking about today, just use that affiliate link. You're going to buy magic cards anyway. If you use the affiliate link when you do, you really are supporting this show and all of our content. Card Kingdom really does have the best service in the business. They're going to get you the cards the fastest and if you want to support our content, you should also check out our other sponsor, which is Ultra Pro. Ultra Pro makes the playmats, the deck boxes, the sleeves, all the accoutrement that goes along to make your battlefield look awesome. In fact, whenever I get new cards, I just immediately put them into Eclipse sleeves. I don't want anything to happen to them, so I can think of no higher praise than that. Another way to support all of our content is directly if you go to patreon.com slash command zone. In fact, we call out one lucky patron every single episode, and this episode is dedicated to John John Collins. John, you rock. Thanks, John. And one more thing before we get into the main topic, our Kickstarter is still going on. It's probably like almost over, very, very close to over. Game Nights just came out. If you haven't watched it, you should go watch that. But also, as it gets down to Game Night's about to come out, I'm always iffy about when the podcast is going to get released because we may have to delay it slightly in order to get Game Nights done. So I'm pretty sure this is coming out like right on the heels of Game Nights, which means there might be like only one day or maybe only a few hours left to support our Kickstarter uh, while you're watching this. So you should probably hit pause. The link will be in the show notes below. And you can get on over to the Kickstarter and maybe get in under the wire if you want to get any of the really cool rewards that we have going on. Really cool stuff over there. Yeah, we have uh, this really cool coin. I like that coin a lot. It just feels so, like, substantial in your hands, too. Yeah. Uh, You'll you'll never forget your triggers with that coin. It's impossible. (laughs) So if you want to get a hold of any of that, support our content, help us with some upgrades around the office. That Kickstarter is almost over. Very, very limited time. Get on over there right now. We appreciate everyone who's helped us out. Okay. DJ, why don't you tell everybody out there, it's been a while since you've been on the show. Let's, Let's talk a little bit about your content and what's been going on. Yeah. I mean, you might recognize me from this desk right here, but you also might watch my YouTube channel. It's Jumbo Commander, and you can type that into YouTube, and I do all sorts of deck decks, top eight lists. I've been playing a little bit of Brawl. On Arena? Really fun. Super fun. Super fun. So head on over there and check that out. Yeah. DJ has some of the best Commander content that is available. If you like our stuff, you're going to love his. Okay. 
Let's go to our main topic, which is how to play aggro. Uh, DJ, before we start this, we should probably ask a very important question, which is, what exactly is aggro? Yeah. So I have this idea of what aggro is in my mind. And then I went to the internet to find out what like Wizards of the Coast and other people out there have said what aggro is. So I jammed a bunch of definitions together to come up with aggro is designed to be faster than your opponents. The focus is in converting cards into damage and will sacrifice long game strategies like card advantage and control for tempo and that all important damage. Uh, this can be achieved by playing impactful and high damage creatures and spells as quickly as possible to pressure your opponent's life total. So we're talking about speed as a big component of aggro. Absolutely. Getting out early, getting damage in. And, and the way I've heard a lot of people talk about aggro and in other formats, especially limited, is like, I don't care about card advantage because if you die while you have seven cards in hand, what exactly. do those cards do for you? Exactly. Yeah. So aggro is kind of the, well, it's aggressive. And I think that there's room for that in this format. So many commander decks uh, dirtle. Right. They they just kind of like, oh, I'm going to ramp, 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 draw, 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 ramp, ramp, ramp. And then they kind of start playing just maybe a turn five or six or seven. And an aggro deck can be faster than your opponents and get in there and close out games. Really punish the dirtling a little bit. Exactly. If it's constructed effectively. But aggro has some big hurdles. It has some barriers to being a truly great uh, archetype in our format. Yeah, Jimmy and I, and when you were on the show, we would often talk about the fact that white and red are the weaker colors in Commander. It's no coincidence that they are the aggro colors mm -hmm. generally in Magic. So why is aggro generally considered bad in Commander? Well, let's talk about math. Okay. Stay okay. with us, everybody. Bath can be fun. We promise. We'll Short go fast. <laughs> okay. So you start off with seven cards in normal uh, game of magic, and you have 20 life. Your opponent has 20 life. Right. Okay. If you are deploying seven cards to reduce one opponent's life total from 20 to zero, then that's good. And we've seen archetypes exist in aggro. This works. Right. And cards are balanced for this interaction. Right. They're balanced for you having 20 life and me starting off with seven resources. Right. Okay. Uh, that's a viable strategy. So that's 1v1. That's 1v1. Now commander. Now commander. Okay. I still have seven cards. Right. I have access to a commander. So it's like I have eight cards. Right. Everybody that's a little bit of an advantage. No, okay. Yeah, a, a little bit. <laughs> but then you ha are facing down someone with 40 life and not just one other person, usually three other people. That's a total of 120 life you have to burn through, you have to aggressively attack through in order to win that game. That's and six times as much. It's six times as much. And cards are not balanced for that that ratio. Right, because otherwise they'd be broken in 1v1. Exactly. Lightning Bolt is a very... Lightning Bolt, one red mana, one card, three damage. It's too kind good of a, for standard. Yeah, too good for standard, but is a mainstay of many burn decks. Right. And that seems to be a good place, a balance where, where burn decks and aggro decks are effective. Uh, when you have to take it to that level of commander where it's double the life, 
triple the opponents, then suddenly it's one sixth as effective. Right. We don't play lightning bolt in our format, but it's extremely efficient damage wise in other formats. And that shows you the gap between a 1v1 and uh, a a multiplayer format. Exactly. There's a huge gap. So the hill to climb is larger, which is one of the reasons that aggro is bad. You have a note here about Voltron. Yeah, I have a note here about Voltron because Voltron could be an aggro aggressive style of strategy. Generally, where you're trying to, yeah, yeah. you're trying to go faster and within your opponents. Um, Essentially, what you're trying to do is get 21 commander damage against each opponent. So instead of 120 damage across your three opponents, you're only needing to get 63 damage. Which is still a lot when you consider 1v1 needing to only do 20. Yes, but, it is still a lot. But it's it's less, and you can see why that opponent may appeal, or that opponent, that strategy may appeal to some people because uh, it does seem to be taking that hill you have to climb and cutting it in half at exactly. the very least. It's slightly easier to achieve, but there's other hurdles uh, with Voltron because obviously you're limited to dealing the damage with your commander. Um, but it's very right, much like a specific Lightning Bolt archetype. Lightning also doesn't work in a Voltron deck because it doesn't add to your commander damage. Exactly. So, yeah. And even some of the amazing aggro cards that we talk about later don't work with Voltron. So Voltron is its own, I think, subtype that we're not going to be discussing here, even though some people might say it is an aggressive strategy. I, I think it is. It may come up as we're discussing things, but it's not yeah. the primary. It, that's not what aggro means. Voltron is a an aggro strategy, but not all aggro strategies are Voltron. How about yeah, that? Yeah, perfect. Okay. You have a quote from Marshall and LSV, two guys that I really like a lot. So I'm yeah, going to like this quote. They're pretty smart. Uh, and and they're on their uh, um, podcast, Limited Resources, they talk a lot about limited. And what they say about limited decks is that there really isn't a true aggro deck in that entire format. There's just different flavors of mid-range. And I like that. Right, especially not a true when- control... Exactly. Either in limited, yeah. It's because you don't have the tools in limited to be able to build that consistency, that aggro deck that really transcends to all those other aggro decks and those aggro decks we have in our minds. Right. You're not getting like a critical mass, like you only have two drops and, you know, really efficient burn spells. Exactly. You're just always going to have some fours and fives in limited because you just had to take them. Yeah. It's just different flavors of mid range and one of them just happens to be faster than the other. And I actually think that we need to take that kind of advice to heart and commander where we don't have this uh, traditional aggro strategy. We just have sort of a faster than you strategy. Oh, I got you. So aggro is maybe not as all in as and I, we yeah. would think of it in other formats. And I believe that our aggro decks are going to look wildly different than the aggro decks you might have in your mind uh, because you've seen it in so many other different formats. And that may be a problem that people run into when making aggro decks and why they think they're bad, um, quote unquote, is because they try and build them like aggro decks in other formats. Absolutely. Huh, I think that that's one of the main main problems. You got it off the table. I did. Ugh. Okay. So let's talk about, we're obviously leading into, how do you make an aggro deck work? How do we make it viable in Commander? Absolutely. And I think that curve is one of the most important parts of an aggro deck. And this is one of the ways that Commander aggro distinguishes itself from the more traditional aggro. So uh, just in case you're not aware, when we talk about curve, we mean putting all of your spells that are in your deck sort of in a line according to how much mana they cost and what that looks like, what that curve looks like. And you generally want, depending on the deck type, more lower CMC stuff than higher CMC stuff. But in aggro, you would generally think you want way more lower CMC stuff and oh, almost yeah. no high CMC stuff. Oh, yeah. In in Popper, in Pioneer, in Modern, in Legacy, they all have burn decks and most of them top out at four. 
Some, some of them out, only top out at two. Yeah, two some CMC. don't even have three drops at all. Yeah, or they have like one. A lot of decks I've seen has a single Hazoret. So if, like I that. mean, it makes sense because <laughs> if your deck is really, you know, what was one of the first things we said about what makes an aggro deck an aggro deck was fast, fast, fast. Exactly. Yeah. And they need to be faster because a lot of the formats that I mentioned are turn three, turn four formats where you need to have a board presence by that time. With Commander, what would you say the, tur- the important turn is for Commander in general? Or Commander in general? It's Maybe like, like turn four or five? Yeah, I'd say five. Yeah. So I think that hitting... I mean, CEDH, it's two, but... Exactly. And your meta could be totally different. That's one of the other things that could be different with Commander as well, is that you could have a battle cruiser meta and your aggro deck just destroys people, or you can have a blazingly fast CDH meta where aggro doesn't really have a place. Right. It has no chance in yeah. these games. Yeah, exactly. Because I, they're, they're built I too think, quickly. I think, you know, one of the things I think you agree with this uh, we've talked about before is that like most decks out there and we just did our power level discussion exactly. episode are like in the six to eight range yeah and in those range i do think some versions of aggro will be viable if you kind of build it and play it right exactly and i think that the sweet spot about that curve is you need to be impacting the board on about with your three drops essentially right whereas everyone else is kind of ramping a little bit maybe drawing some cards filtering a little bit i think you need to have a board presence at three and then you need to keep hitting the board every single turn and that's why curve is going to be so important and making sure that your curve extends all the way up and i think that uh what's unheard of in other decks in other formats uh i think that cards like inferno titan you know is really good in commander aggro even though a six drop is like no that's that doesn't work in other aggro decks i think that that being sort of towards the top of your curve in our format is really impactful and is really powerful so thinking of aggro as it's almost i'm going to use the word curve which will get confusing but it's like grading it on a curve as far as in legacy and something else maybe you top out of the three drops in commander maybe you top out at six and seven which rather than trying to build it like a legacy deck where you don't have any four drops at all we're still gonna be we're still gonna have some stuff in that range exactly yeah and you can imagine a commander deck that's just like all two drops would just not be good it would not it would take out one player really fast but then it would have no chance because they're drawing real cards and you know the other two players lived and now it's turn seven or eight and you're just still drawing two drops and wizards and the card designers have more power when dealing with higher CMC cards. And so we've seen four drops and five drops and six drops be able to have really big and powerful impacts and really affect multiple players. Whereas a lot of times your one drops, they don't have that kind of reach. You can't push them too much. Otherwise the game's just, exactly. just as whether the person drew more, that or not. Exactly. They yeah. have more room to sort of push those cards because it's about balance. And a four drop can be balanced for dealing more damage across the board, whereas a one drop sets the balance out of whack when you're talking about 1v1. Right, okay. Um, The next sort of chapter here is multiplying your damage in multiplayer. Yeah, so uh, the the main problem with Commander, again, not only is the double the life, but the three opponents. Right. That's a huge problem uh, because you have so many, like you have too much to get through, right. but there are a bunch of cards in commander that let us hit multiple opponents. Uh, for example, gutter snipe hits all each, opponents. Hits all opponents. Uh, you take perforos yeah. hits all opponents. Uh, it's a thing they've really been doing more and more. I feel like exactly trying to bring red in line and balance it. 
Yeah, and they really have been doing it more and more. They've actually tried to make this work a little bit more. Uh, mechanics like Melee and Myriad tried to answer this a little bit. Uh, Melee was the one where if you attack multiple opponents, uh, it pumps your creatures. Your creatures get bigger. They right. even gave us a, a Melee commander, uh, which people didn't, didn't end up working exactly. But what they were trying to do was encourage some form of aggro where it rewarded you for attacking multiple opponents. Exactly. And that's, it's, that's both good and bad. I like that. We'll talk about the, the downside of spreading around damage, right. but uh, being able to have wizards make cards that sort of reward the multiplayer format is very, very good and promising. And you can tell they're trying to do it. Yeah. Um, Myriad was the one where if you attack one opponent, it creates a token for the two others. Right. Um, we've so like another way to attack everybody. Afterwards. Exactly. Yeah. Um, unfortunately they made an awesome equipment with Myriad, Myriad, but all of the other cards, decks, it doesn't go in aggro decks because it, <laughs> it's, it's, value. it's pretty powerful and it's pretty value. And the creatures they all made were uncommon level. Right. So like they made Sarah, angel that could myriad and again right. that could be good enough in some aggro decks but they really didn't push that very much yeah yeah um it was it was uh, it's interesting to see them try and get a handle on this though they, it's clearly a problem they know exists and they want aggro to be better but it, you also have to be careful to make it too good so i understand what their oh yeah what their problems are yeah so when you are building an aggro deck pay attention to things that hit all of your opponents and those are going to be cards that are a lot more powerful i mentioned a few already uh, i also like cards that incidentally punish your opponents like rook thar for example mm -hmm. uh just dealing six damage to someone for just doing something yeah, rook is six damage when anybody casts a non-creature spell they yeah. just take six it's it can be <laughs> brutal it's a lot of damage but but here's the thing would you imagine a six CMC gruel creature being the hel at the helm of your aggro deck. Right. Like that's kind of counterintuitive a little bit, but you can build that deck where Rorkthar comes down. It's sort of at the top of your curve and it shuts out your opponents or they have to take six to interact with what you're doing. But I've then they also have to get rid of your Rorkthar, which mm -hmm. like, cause they can cast two things and they'll take 12 and Rorkthar is really fun to play against and with, but it's definitely like a curved harper in that it comes down and sort of ices the, the field as far as like all of a sudden there's a lot of stuff people can't do. Yeah. That kind of transitions into incidental damage uh, because Rurkthar is not something where you can just aim that six damage exactly where you want it. Sometimes it's okay to just have damage flying around. Uh, there's uh, the goblin and the Ankh of Mishra that just punish people by playing land drops over and over again. Uh, there's a lot of different cards that just like, oh, two damage here, two damage there, two damage there, like uh, Sulfuric Vortex even, where everyone just takes a little bit of damage at the beginning of their upkeep. Incidental damage can build up a lot. I love that you mentioned Ankh of Mishra, which I think is probably like criminally underplayed in Commander in that mm. there are so many decks now that are abusing the fact that the social contract sort of precludes people from ever destroying a large number of lands all at once. And so there's really nothing keeping in check all these land-based ramp strategies, which is so many decks do now, and they just keep coming out with more ramp cards that do this and they're very there are, you're running into more and more decks where there's just 20 of those cards in the deck rampant growths and cultivates and far seeks and circuitous routes and explosive vegetation and sky shark claims and this is renewals and like they just keep making these and there's how many decks do we run into now where it's just like they just do that for four turns have 15 lands in play yeah you could play an arc of mishra on turn two against those decks and they're going to be at 10 life if they do that I mean, that's amazing. I mean, that's that's really great. And we do want to punish those decks yeah. because all they're doing is they're preying on the fact that there are no aggro decks in their meta. Right. That's what they're doing because no one is punishing them for doing nothing for five turns. Yeah. 
uh, and we can punish them because they're kind of the boogeyman of our format a little bit. Because like you said, there's the social contract. They're not being kept in check. I definitely think those are probably the boogeyman in the six to eight range, right? Whereas you go from the nines and tens, the boogeyman are the combo decks. You're absolutely right. But in the sort of mid, you know, where we mostly play, you and I, DJ, and Jimmy as well, and our play group is normally in the, around the sevens. Most decks are there. And that is the thing that most decks are doing is just high value early, get a lot of car, get a gathering of resources. And by resources, it's mana and cards. Absolutely. And that's just like what everybody spends the first few turns doing. And then they kind of settle in for quote unquote, the real part of the game, which is like, now I'm going to use my stuff strategically against everybody. The aggro decks going under that stuff and saying, nope, I'm not going to wait around while you do that. I'm going to bash you. And then by the time you start to do stuff, you're in trouble because your options are now limited because your life total is low. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or you're gone. Absolutely. <laughs> or you're already gone. We'll talk about that later. All right, so the next category we have down here is interruption. Yeah, so in a lot of other decks, the power of your creature is the most critical part. You're like, I need a two drop that has three power, or I need to get as much damage through as possible. In Commander, that damage is less useful than slowing your opponents down, than interrupting them, than causing them to falter a little bit. Because if you can set your opponents off curve by a little bit, then it has a much larger effect than just having a single extra power on your creature. Uh, so cards that disrupt your opponent, uh, I like both Thalias. Uh, the two mana Thalia that uh, makes non-creature spells cost one more to, to cast can really slow down a lot of different decks and say, oh, now I'm playing off curve. I'm playing my Cultivate on turn four. It's way That's, worse. It's way worse. Yeah. Uh, the three mana Thalia having creatures come onto the battlefield tapped means that more you can essentially get a whole extra combat phase in before they can block. That effect of things for your opponent coming in tapped is just always better than it looks on paper it's much better yeah every time it's out if you're on the receiving end you're like oh this is there's my plans are totally have to be changed because of that card do you know what else i like a lot about uh three mana thalia heretic cathar is that it punishes more expensive mana bases yeah because non-basic lands also enter the battlefield tapped so now your opponent's dual lands are guild gates. Yeah. Their fetch lands, oh my gosh, are horrible. They're like, uh, I yeah, guess I'm fetching worst. I guess I'm fetching a basic with yeah. this thing. <laughs> like and and honestly what it does is it slows down their mana in many decks. So they're already feeling like they're a turn behind that way. And then when their creature comes down, it's tapped. And so it's also slowing them down one more step when it comes to blocking. And you could imagine that that hindrance when multiplied across three opponents is way more than if Thalia was a four two. Right. And also, if what we're saying is you're gathering of resources until a certain turn, and at that point you try and stabilize, well, just pushing back the stabilize point by a turn or two could mean they're dead now. Yeah. So I would prioritize creatures that interrupt more than creatures that have power. I also like cards like Manglehorn or Collector Oof. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Josh can't help but laugh. Creatures. Exactly. <laughs> um, but honestly, those are the types of creatures you need to sort of slow down your opponents, throw a wrench in what they're doing because you're the aggro deck. You're going under them. You're going faster than them. So slowing them down is just as good as having extra damage. Yep. I played a uh, command fest Seattle this last weekend and there was a green white aggro aggro ish deck that I was playing in a pod with and they played collector oof and, uh, that card was, I mean, I was playing Feather, so I didn't care, but it was sweet against my two opponents. They were just like, oh, God, yeah. In my aggro-y deck, I've run Collector Oof 2, and it is great. It's great. It, it's, I still have Soul Ring in my deck, but I'm yeah. like, I don't care. 
It says uh, activated abilities of artifacts can't be activated. It's like shuts down mana rocks, shuts down so many different things. It's great. Yeah, it equipment. Is. It's oh very powerful card. Um, I want to mention one other one other thing in this category. Um, well, I'll throw out Linvala Keeper of Silence because that's a good one that also interrupts a lot of activated abilities. But I want to mention Magus of the Moon because mm-hmm. that again. It harps on those expensive mana bases. It really slows down your opponents and hinders their ability to cast their spells. This is where Josh is going to be like, you lost oh, me. have you gone too far? <laughs> you lost me. You've gone too far, DJ. <laughs> Why did we invite you? <laughs> so, I mean, undoubtedly, the Blood Moon type effects are very powerful. Like... That's why I hate them. If they didn't do anything, then they wouldn't be worth uh, reviling in such a way. Exactly. (laughs) Just had to throw that out there. Okay. One other thing you might want to beware and uh, make sure to pack the right kind of of interaction and interruption is life gain. Because yeah. life gain can just destroy your entire strategy. So cards like Stigma Lasher, Sulfuric Vortex, uh, Rampaging Frostodon, Erebos, or Tainted Remedy, all of those can kind of make sure that you're not taken over by just, and, and what's the what's the big Aloro, giant? Aloro, Dacker. Yeah. yeah. There's a ton now. There's uh, Uncle Carl. Just like someone shouldn't be able to play an Aetherflux Reservoir and then your just deck doesn't do anything. Right. Yeah. yeah. So So keep that in mind. All right, the next category is reach, but we're not talking about the keyword ability reach. We're talking about the ability to reach out now and close out di- that game. Yeah, and 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 throw a punch and hit your opponents directly, not a real punch, you know. <laughs> a metaphorical one a with metaphor- your cards. If you're looking at the battlefield and you have all your things there and they have a whole wall of that, you just reach out and punch them. How okay. do you Yeah, you need some cards that just like deal di- are going to get damage onto your opponent. Um because you will be disrupted. Yeah. It's 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 guaranteed. They're uh, going to wrath you. They're going to destroy your key creature. They're going to counterspell a thing you thought was going to happen. And we are more susceptible to wrath than a lot of other decks because we need to commit stuff to the board and we need to commit stuff faster and more of it in order to have an impact. Whereas other people have been making their land drops and might have one card on the battlefield. You went two drop, three drop, four drop, five drop. If they then go Wrath of God, this, that's really bad for you because you get five yeah. for ones. Exactly. Yeah. Like you get destroyed and also your deck is designed not to be able to catch back up as easily because you are sacrificing some of your card advantage, some of your, your velocity through your deck for velocity across the battlefield. Smash, smash, smash. Right. Okay. So one way to avoid that is to protect yourself. Uh, cards like... My favorite actually is Unbreakable Formation. Yeah, this is a good one. New, yeah. Newer one too. Because Yeah, because it's a newer one. It's two and a white uh, for an instant. Uh, and if you cast it at instant speed, it just gives your creatures indestructible. Thumbs up. Which is great, by the way, because a lot of times I'll save you from the board wipe. Dodge a board wipe. Yep. Exactly what you want. If you cast it during your main phase, then your creatures get plus one, plus one and vigilance and indestructible. Yeah. So this card can really pivot in two different ways where you have that assurance, but when you really want to reach and close out a game and give yourself that little bit of extra boost of damage through, you can use it that way as well. Similarly, uh, Boros Charm. Yep. Boros Charm, uh, red, white, has a few different modes. The modes that we care about are 
everything that you have is indestructible. Permanents you have are indestructible. Uh, also, the other one is uh, give something double strike. Yeah. That can be a big thing in an aggro deck for sure. Like that Inferno Titan suddenly having double strike. Some of these other big creatures you that we have smashing through and all of a sudden doing twice as much damage out of nowhere can often be like the KO blow. Yeah. And so, then also like just saving yourself from a board wipe can can win you the game too because a lot of times people will count on that landing wiping your board and when it doesn't work they're now tapped out and open to your attack and everyone's open to your attack yeah. it's not just like it didn't just what your creatures don't get wiped but then suddenly you have free reign to just swing in whereas right. before maybe you were only allowed certain lines of attack it's pretty good unbreakable formation especially because you could also wrath on that turn then to get rid of the stuff because yeah. you gave yourself on on uh unbreakable i said that's the name of the card you gave yourself indestructible that's right <laughs> um yeah i think these I, I always in my sort of board heavy quote-unquote aggro or just decks that are going to commit to the board a lot i always want like probably four around four cards that are like only there primarily primarily to protect my board from that i like stuff. them i like that too yeah. and you can recognize if your if your deck is board heavy if you look down and you see a lot of stuff on there and those might be indicative of a deck that wants to be more aggressive so some other ones we have down here are selfless spirit heroic intervention and then teferi's protection which we're going to say out loud, but they need to reprint it because it's like $50 now. <laughs> it only came out a couple years ago. There are lots of others if you're budget conscious. Uh, yeah. Ghost Away, Ghost Away, Ghost Away, whatever that one is. Yep. There's other Theory ones that interlude. give it Yeah. There, uh, yeah, because some blink out your stuff and then bring it back, which mm -hmm. is good. Uh, depends on what you're doing. That can be bad too because if you've got tokens and things, yeah. Teferi's protection is the best because it works with all that stuff, including tokens. Um, and, it, and you go away. As like a player. I know. I like that too. <laughs> it's like, it's like, peace. I'm going to go get a drink. Uh, all right. And the next year you have some stuff down here about equipment spells that can augment your creatures. Um, this is interesting. You said equipment spells can augment your creatures that no longer measure up to the curve and make them more relevant. So we are going to make some um, adjustments to our deck based on the fact that we're aggro. Maybe play some cards that are lower down on the curve. Mm -hmm. Probably still going to play more of those more of those uh, than a normal deck would because we want to get out of the gates fast. But later on, you top deck some card, like th maybe like Thalia, the two mana Thalia. Yeah. Not which great on turn eight. It doesn't interrupt them at all. They're yeah. like, uh, fine, I'll pay the one extra. One extra mana, and it doesn't really impact them. Exactly. Yeah. It's way better when they have three mana because it changes, like I can't actually cast this spell now. Mm -hmm. uh, but then if you have some equipment in your deck, you can all of a sudden still suit up these creatures and make them relevant. Exactly. Uh, especially because when you, you could curve out beautifully and be totally aggressive and smash someone to death. Mm-hmm. But then you still have two other opponents, and now your three drop that you played on turn three that was amazing on turn three, that was still relevant on turn four, fine on turn five, on turn seven, it's... Pretty bad. It's outclassed. Yeah. And so, so you, you need... Exactly. You need something to sort of force that through, and equipment is really good at that. There are a lot of other cards that are good at sort of making that creature a little bit more relevant, too. Uh, in a lot of other formats, anthems do it. Right. Uh, in our format... Plus one plus one sometimes isn't even enough to right. be able to make a it lot of relevant. Times it doesn't matter. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so they got an Eldrazi now. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so what are we the might types need a little of equipments that you favor in an aggro deck? It's you know because a lot of the equipments we use in other decks maybe not good in aggro, like sort of the Animist or something like that, right? That just doesn't give a big enough boost. Yeah. What are the types of equipment in an aggro deck? That, that are gonna one thing that stinks is that i'm gonna mention cards that are also expensive but like sword of fire and ice yeah because it does damage 
it can send damage where you need to, and then also draws you a card. Yeah. Uh, the idea of you just saying, oh, I don't need any card draw in, in these decks, then that's not true. We actually have to find the most efficient card draw that we can and make sure that we relish our card draw whenever we have it, because we won't have that saturation that other decks do. Mm -hmm. And so any equipment that does generate that card advantage could be really good. So Sword of Fire and Ice is great. Um, I've also had a lot of success with Embercleave. Oh, the new one. The new one. From uh, Throne of Eldraine that flashes in and gives double strike and trample. And plus one, plus one. And yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Because it's, it's a combat trick too. And exactly. it can be cheap. Exactly. And it can be very cheap. Yeah. You know, uh, and so Embercleave has also been a really powerful inclusion into some of the aggro decks that I've tried it out in. That's very cool. That's cool. That's good tech. Okay, and we've got a lot more to talk about, a lot more to cover in these aggressive strategies and how to do it. But before we get into all that, we're going to take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsors. All right, and we're back. We're talking about how to play aggro in Commander. It's a difficult strategy in our formats. Let's move on to the next talking point. So let's talk about some big spells that sort of like capitalize on your big board position and close out the game. Because I think it's easy to get into an aggro deck where like, if you're doing the aggro strategy, the first part of the strategy is pretty easy to get to work which is mm -hmm. like i play stuff earlier than everybody else and i do some damage but it's the hard part at the end where you're like but that actually converts to me knocking players out a lot of times they stabilize how do we stop them from doing that exactly and that's this reach part is that you've been kind of shut down you've gotten people down to 10 how do you close out the game? Because you're going to be drawing Thalia's off the top. You're going right. to be drawing like silly goblins off the top. You need to be able to have something impactful. So you do need a critical mass of these cards that have a big impact and synergize with your existing strategy. Mm -hmm. um, so this can be different in a ton of different decks. So some of these will work with some aggro decks and some won't. So for example, uh, we just talked about equipment. And so if you have an equipment sort of deck where you have a higher, you know, saturation of equipment i really like a card called heavenly blade master i don't even know what this card does you are going to love it so it's a little bit expensive uh at six cmc for a three six flying double strike so it's a five and white for a three six flying double strike yes okay uh, when Heavenly Blade Master enters the battlefield, you may attach any number of aura and equipment cards you control to it. Oh, so it's got a magnet. Exactly. It shoop, sucks them all up. Um, do you often run Swiftfoot Boots or Lightning Greaves right. in these kinds of decks? Okay, so uh, very likely to have haste. Maybe haste suck, up, and double strike. suck up something else. Uh, maybe a sword of some kind. Double strike and swords. That's pretty good as well. Uh, but not only that. Other creatures you control get plus one, plus one for each or an equipment attached to Heavenly Blade Master. Uh, so you play this, get two or three equipments, attack right away, and it pumps all your other stuff, which attacks too. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. So this can be an out of nowhere blow that they just really don't, exactly. like, they're not calculating for. And that's the definition of reach, right? Right, right. Is where you, the, your opponents feel like you're under control. They're like, we've shut down the aggro deck, thank goodness. And then suddenly the Heavenly Blade Master comes down and whoop, sucks up your equipments. You're attacking in and all of your creatures get boop, 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 like pumped up extra boop, boop, boop. so that you can really get in and like close out the game. Uh-huh. I um, like that. 
So that's one that's like a little bit more techy, but very specific to an equipment. You have to have equipment, that, right? Um, there are other ones that are more more general. Uh, one of my favorites is Disrupt Decorum. Yes, this is the goad. I have won more games that I shouldn't have won off the back of Disrupt Decorum. Yeah, this is goad all creatures your opponents control, which yes. means they have to attack and they can't they, they attack can't someone else but you if able. Yes. So it makes everybody all your opponents swing at each other, which means they don't have blockers. They don't have blockers, and they're dealing incidental damage to each other. Uh, it's amazing. It can throw off all the calculations i've had you play it where i'm like totally fine and then you play that i'm like oh i'm gonna die <laughs> whoops it's i have this all under control great <laughs> it's so great yeah it's uh, a very good card it's a uh, cool card too yeah and i and i think it's really it's really nice but it is very situational it right. isn't this guaranteed uh sort of win if you do want like a guaranteed uh sort of combat based win insurrection might be your go-to although i haven't seen it as around as often as i normally have yeah like a lot maybe of people in the past. play sacrifice outlets now so yeah. it doesn't do as much as you would want to back yeah. in the day it was the the expropriate. It was like the go-to, like, up oh, one card, I win the game. It was it was what we... We would speak of it in in uh, in tones that we reserve for expropriate now. I know. And it no, was I Torment of Hailfire. No, it was Exsanguinate. It was on that level. By the way, good good reach finishers right there, Josh. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're good all job. good. <laughs> um, one other thing that is another sort of reach finisher are, like, the pigs in green. So, Craterhoof Behemoth. Oh, yeah. You know, coming down and basically saying, like, oh, like, I had an army of, like, little elves. You and thought that there was, like, oofs. three tutus. No. <laughs> You've been hoofed. <laughs> As... Uh, what do you think is the card? This is a tangent a little bit. What do you think is the card in Commander, only Commander, that has ended the most games? Like if you had the the huge galaxy quantum computer and it was calculating this whole time, taking data from Commander games only, what do you think is the card that is that has ended the most games? I, I honestly do think it's Crater Hoof. I do too. I think I that I think that Lab Man, Laboratory Maniac, might pretty high. be pretty high up there. But I think there's more people just smashing a Crater Hoof than there are yeah. trying to combat. Lab Man is a certain type of deck. It's exactly kind, which it it's very effective what it does. But I don't think you see it even close to much as decks that have a lot of creatures in. Is them. Is there anything close to Crater Hoof Behemoth? I'm trying to think. Rack my brain for what's it. even on that list. I know, like what's what's second place. It also has to have been a card that's been around for long enough to. St- to, to stock up like something like Torment of Hailfire, which is very effective and, and but it just hasn't been around for as long as Crater Hoof. So Crater Hoof has years and years to stock up more game wins than Torment of Hailfire has. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, I can't I'm not sure, but yeah. Okay, there we go. Crater Hoof. <laughs> nice, That's little, a fish. nice little tangent right there. Yeah, but yeah. you mentioned a few other cards like Exsanguinate and uh, Torment. Torment of Hailfire. And those, a lot of people use those in different styles of decks, like right. those ramp decks. Yeah. They're like, I'm going to ramp out and then I'm going to land a big Torment and take everyone from 40 to dead. Well, you can just as easily have that as a top end. Uh, where because they're not at 40. That. Exactly, because they're not at 40. So you didn't ramp. What you did is you brought their life total down. Exactly. Yeah. Um, if you are relying on cards like, uh, oh, I also have Treacherous Train down there, mm-hmm. which you probably, which, oh, you do know that one mm-hmm. deals damage equal to the number of lands you have to your opponents. Those ramp strategies again, let's go after them. <laughs> um, but if you do have any spells that are designed to close out the game, remember this is in the late game where your opponents aren't really tapping out. There are a little bit worried if they're at 10 and they have a counter spell, they're keeping that mana up. Right, right. Um, so Beseju, who shelters all, could be a very strong card. Um, yeah, in, that's a in these land that decks. makes your spells uncounterable. 
Yeah. Uh, there's many times in many games, especially against blue players, where you're just like, uh, why didn't I put Busaju in this deck? Because then I would have a chance here. Because you don't have a critical mass of these reach spells. Right. Like, you, you're you not designed to say, have, oh, I've got 10 reach spells in this deck. No, that's too many. Right. You're focusing on the curve, and then you have a few spells that can close out the game. And when you are so focused and fixated on this one spell to close out the game, you're highly susceptible to interruption through counter spells. Uh, okay, so I added a little category here, which is related to this category. It's like a subcategory. Mm-hmm. I think one thing aggro decks really want is explosiveness. Mm-hmm. This is similar to reach, but I think haste is really important. It's the ability to land a big punch out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, and I think we'll talk about this later when we, when we talk about like actually playing these decks, but keeping your explosiveness in hand is often the right thing to do. So... You know, Lightning Greaves, Anger's a really good one. That's the creature that if it, it's in your graveyard, it gives haste to your creatures. Hall of the Bandit Lord can be something right that one. sort of sits on the battlefield and you, that people kind of forget about and you use later. The ability to, like, the board wipe happened, it comes to your turn, you play a creature, immediately bash with it, sometimes can win you games or take people out when they sort of didn't see it coming. And that's a reason why sometimes in an, if I'm playing aggro, I'm holding the Lightning Greaves in my hand yeah. because I don't want them to know... So I don't want their calculation to include, okay, I got a plan for the creature he's going to play with haste. If they're not planning for that, a lot of times they'll board wipe, tap out for a mana rock, and then you go, boom, play my thing, play the Greaves, slap it on there, kill you. That oh, yeah. Playing explosively and having the ability to be explosive, I think, is really important in aggro decks. I totally agree. Um, remember how this is kind of the other side of that interruption part. Mm-hmm. Remember when I said, like, oh, Thalia tapping down your opponent's creatures, getting one more combat in for uh, based on your curve? Haste does that, too, mm-hmm. where essentially you're attacking a turn earlier because you have haste. So not only can you come in out of nowhere in the late game and punch someone where they can't expect it, you're also hitting your curve a little bit faster, a little bit harder. And explosiveness that is essentially aggro you're coming in faster and stronger than your opponents are not yeah not just fast from the from the standpoint of doing stuff before they are but also fast from the standpoint of like it you use your stuff right now you use it right away uh vidalconori ultimately i know i mentioned it every episode but that's the kind of card that also may be good in aggro deck because it gives you the ability hold your stuff played on end step now swing with it before they can do anything um, okay, let's talk about, you know, I had to throw Fidel Canari somewhere in the episode. Of course, you, episode. Had, you yeah. had to throw that in there, of course. <laughs> I had to sign a lot of those at Command Fest this weekend. I That's a cool card to sign. No, like no. No? Here, let me just say out there, listen, I don't tell people, like, I won't tell people no. If you want me to sign it, I will sign it. I try and talk them out of it, though, because it's an expensive card. I don't want it to be expensive. I want them to reprint it. I tell Gavin and Mark and everybody else every time I see them, will they please reprint, reprint this card? They're also not necessarily the people in charge of that, but I still... Like every time pen hits cardboard, that's like twenty dollar bill that just evaporated from the from the world. Yeah, I will. You know what's better? It'll never command be command tower. Just have a sign of command tower. Soul ring. Like, but here's the thing, Josh. It'll never be a twenty dollar bill if they never sell it. And as soon as you sure. sign it, they're never gonna sell it. <laughs> I don't know. Someday I just picture like every person that I've signed of a Dalkinori like in fifteen years is just looking at it and they're like that Josh Lee Kwai. Nobody even knows who he is anymore, but he's just still costing me money. <laughs> Except for Vidalconori, he's never been reprinted until yeah. from here until that future day, and it's three hundred and seventy-five dollars. Yeah, they're be, like, but, but theirs is damaged, so it's only one hundred and eighty dollars. <laughs> or you're super famous, and everyone's like, "I got a Josh Lee Choir." There's no signature right on a card that makes it worth more. They all make it worth less. I'm sorry, it's damaged. Command Tower, everybody, come on, come on! Don't just you're breaking my heart. Command Tower, we can sign Command Towers. Islands, islands are great. 
Don't ask me to sign a mountain. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Rant over. Let's talk about, back to our, our topic here. Uh, let's, <laughs> DJ comes on the show and I'm just like, how can I derail your cool topic <laughs> as much as possible? Okay. Let's talk about the best aggro decks in the format. Yeah. If we can look at aggro decks that exist in our format, we can see what they're doing right and maybe what their strengths and weaknesses are. So we can say, huh. You don't necessarily have to build that exact deck, but how can I make something that sort of simulates that? Is or operating similarly. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And capture that essence. Okay. Well, the top one is a really good deck. It's Edgar Markov. Yeah. Edgar Markov is an insane uh, aggro deck, mostly because of the commander. Yeah. Uh, whenever you play a vampire, Edgar Markov creates another 1-1 one, one vampire. That's from the command zone. The eminence ability. It's free. There's nothing anybody can really do about it. So what you've done is you've essentially doubled your velocity. And if you have more and more low drop vampires, you can uh, just saturate the board very, very, very quickly. Yeah, that that deck is a, it's a pain. It's very strong. So that deck specifically is is very hard to capture. It's hard to emulate. Exactly. Because, because there's it is not, a, nothing that really simulates what Edgar's doing for other things, right? There's a tribal strategy to it a little bit. And so you don't even have access to many of the other vampires. But vampires in general in red and black are good. And, you know, and white. Those are aggressive colors in general. So um, the tribe actually synergizes with Edgar Markov himself. One thing that you can do is look for other things that might not do exactly what Edgar Markov does, but does something similar. For example, the mono white Oketra. Oh, yeah. So suddenly your one drop on turn 10 makes a 4-4 zombie and is a little bit more relevant. Right. You know? Imagine if Oketra did that from the command zone oh like gosh, Edgar be... does. I mean, he doesn't make 4-4s, four but okay. <laughs> it's, it's it's crazy. Okay. Uh, um, Azuri Elves you have down here. This is I have a deck that's similar to Azuri Elves, and that's kind of one of my main aggro decks. Yeah, Elf I had ball Azuri... decks are... Generally, but they cross between the ramp and aggro. They're ramp, very much committed aggro, to the board. A little bit of combo yeah. stuff and stuff like that. But they don't attack with their creatures on turns two, three, and four as much. They're mostly tapping them for mana, put more creatures out, and then they start nailing you around turn five. Exactly. Well, they hopefully they land yeah. in Azuri really fast, and then what Azuri does is it turns irrelevant creatures into relevant creatures. Pumps them all. all exactly. The um, and that's something that we can also emulate in other strategies as well. How do you turn irrelevant creatures or mana dorks into creatures that suddenly mean something? Right. Um, and that's that's something that you can kind of think about. I have a few decks that do something similar. My Shalai Voice of Plenty deck uh, is... Yep in many cases, I feel an aggro deck. It has a lot of mana dorks to be able to accelerate into bigger stuff. It has a lot of interruption. I mentioned uh, Manglehorn, Collector Oof. Uh, and But then it's designed to swing in and pump and make my little incidental creatures you know, worth something. Mm -hmm. We'll talk a little bit later about being able to pivot into different strategies, sort of combining hybrid strategies a little bit later. I think those are usually the best aggro decks, ones that have one foot in hate bears, one foot in stacks, one foot in these other strategies that are like, going to lock everybody down just a little bit more to give you that extra time you need for the aggro to actually Well, work. we can talk about that because my my Shalai deck uh, actually pivots into combo. Right. Because it can have some of these 
little hate bear creatures come around and then suddenly, oh, I can combo out of nowhere. Right. Same thing with my Akiri Line Slinger and Timna the Weaver deck. It can be very aggressive coming out with artifacts, smashing people, but then... And it can KCI. It can Kirk and Ironworks. You saw that on extra turns on the episode. Yeah. You didn't actually do it, but you saw the wheels were starting to turn in that direction. Exactly. And but so early it, on, you were swinging, swinging, and swinging. Exactly. And what it does is it can kind of put people on the back foot, interrupt their game plan. Uh, it really puts different pressures on the game uh, than you're used to. And so I think some of the best aggro decks have reach, and some of those reach can be individual cards, but they can also be combo packages mm -hmm. you know uh, i know a lot of uh ag aggressive perforos decks that also have like a kiki jiki like built into it stuff like that so there is room for people to be able to pivot into other more resilient strategies and when combined with aggro means that not only are they really good because they pressure opponents in different ways, but also are really, really fun to play because it feels like, okay, I'm done with my aggro. I've been shut down with this propaganda. I've still got game. Right, I, can I have still, a chance here. Exactly. I can still pivot into my other strategies. Very cool. Um, you Well, you, we have listed here your aggro decks, but you just talked about them. Yeah. My aggro decks are, I have a Tashana Elves deck, which is my sort of elf ball version. Mm -hmm. Which is strong, but uh, it folds to a board wipe at the wrong time. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I have two Voltron decks, which I would consider aggro decks, uh, Greven and Feather, which are I've actually had a lot more fun playing than I would think. Yeah, Greven is Greven is great, man. Just Greven comes sweet. out of nowhere and just smashes people. And it has card draw, so I don't feel like I'm... I'm empty handed or don't have options. And that's something that you, you do need to build into these decks. I mentioned it earlier, but anywhere where you can have incidental card draw can be really, really strong of... For example, I mentioned the idea of like a three power two drop not being very great. But for example, if you can have Grenzo, right. you know, on there and suddenly you're exiling your opponent's cards while you're attacking, that kind of stuff could be really good. Uh, you have Edric um, flying men as one of the good aggro strategies, which is the Ed there's a very high powered, aggressive Edric deck that's out there. It's probably like a <clears throat> eight or a nine on the power scale. Absolutely. When, when fully tuned. And it's basically Edric, Spymaster of Trest, and then all the one mana unblockable or evasive stuff that exists. Yes. And it's it can be nuts. It can be nuts. And the key, remember, the key to Edric, a lot of these decks is that it's just faster. Yeah. You know, you're going you're going for speed. Uh, and you play all the threats and they all hit the opponent and you draw cards. So even when if they manage to wrath you, you just play it all again. Edric is the card that says, um, if anybody deals damage to one of your opponents, combat damage to one of your opponents, they draw so for each creature they draw a card. So that's why you play like five little flyers. And then it also encourages your opponents to hit each other because that way they draw cards and not you. Here's the here's the way you play. Uh, turn one, one drop. Turn yeah. two, two, two one more one drops. Yeah. Turn three, Edric, attack, draw three cards. Yeah. You've just ancestraled and everyone else is like... Hasn't... They played a mana rock maybe, <laughs> you know, in a death right shaman or something. Yeah. That's like it. Yeah. 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 And then you go, turn four, play four one drops, swing... You know, with my four creatures, draw four more cards. And it's like, even if you wrath me, my hand is still full. And a lot of those decks also rely on extra turn spells to sort yeah. of uh, close that out. So extra turn spells, extra combat. You're in blue, uh, so in a other ones. counter spell. They don't have a ton, but they'll have a few. Enough exactly. to just stop that one desperate cyclonic rift. Yeah. Yeah. And so 
one other ones that I that I want to talk about is also sort of aggro hate bears because yeah. this does kind of exist in CEDH where they do have like a Timna right. sort of base decks. Those usually they, combo out at the end though. Exactly. They don't, those are they, designed yeah. those are designed to combo out, but they they start off with this sort of address aggressive creature strategy. Um, but I think that those They're playing do, the Thalias and the everything else that makes it so non-creature spells are hard to cast. And then once they've slowed down everybody enough. They slow down people a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not as fast, but it is trying to sort of uh, land creatures under your opponents a little bit. Yeah. So we can see that a lot of these aggro decks that we're talking about actually sound like normal decks that we see at, at sort of commander tables, but we're looking at them in a different perspective than we normally do. Whereas it's just about speed. Right. It's just different flavors of mid range, but you're essentially trying to build a deck that has a board presence that goes for tempo over card advantage and card, you know, power and tries to get damage through as quickly as possible. And that's like the definition of some of these things, like a, yeah. a one mana one drop. That's like a bad card, but hey, if you put it in the right light, it is really good. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's move on and let's talk about something that will be near and dear to the heart of the person who's probably editing this episode, and it is Infect. Dun, dun, dun. You, you're going to come on the show and talk about Infect, DJ. I am. I'm going to make <laughs> Jimmy upset, talk about all these red cards. Craig is over there editing it. Hey, bud. And I'm talking about your, your favorite Infect. And... It's essentially an aggressive strategy. Oh, let's mega aggressive. Let's right. go back to math again. Uh, remember, before we had you know seven cards in hand and we had to do 120 damage. Right. Okay, with infect, we have to only do 30 infect, 10 to each opponent right. and commander. Right. Okay. Um, granted, sounds easy. The cards are balanced for one v one, dealing 10 infect as well. Right. So they're only three times as bad as they are in one v one. Right. That's actually you know when you put it in that. In that light, the ratio is not as bad as a lot of the other sort of as aggro looks, I guess, when you're saying 120 damage versus 20. Yeah, like six times worse than in 1v1 versus three times worse than 1v1. Right. Still worse, but it's more manageable, maybe. Uh, I I actually think that it's way worse. Only because Infect as a strategy is so narrow, so limited. They haven't made that much Infect stuff. Like, they've made a lot of just two-drop creatures or whatever. They just haven't made very many Infect creatures or cards that even say the word infect or poison on it. So exactly. Like they have, they're the making pools more very more, shallow. Exactly. Yeah. They're making more and more awesome, aggressive cards. Every single set Torbran right. is great. Right. You know what I mean? It's so much fun and it's very aggressive. The last card they made with infect on it was in, was in 2011. So it's been eight years. It's been eight years. <laughs> Not even a reprint. with yeah. infect on it. Okay. So sorry, Craig, <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, in fact, you, when you break it down by the numbers, it looks like, on good on paper, and then you realize, oh, but I just don't have a lot of stuff to choose from, so it's hard to have it get there. I have played against dedicated Infect decks from Craig, though, and they're very good at taking out one player. They can almost oh, yeah. guarantee do that, and then they almost can never take out all three players. Sometimes they'll take out a second, but that's about as far as they ever get. So anybody out there sort of saying, oh, Infect needs to be moved up to 15 damage or whatever, you just probably haven't played against some dedicated Infect decks. Trust me, I have a lot. They're not strong. Yeah. They don't need to be nerfed. (laughs) They do not need to be nerfed at all. Regular aggro is better than Infect. Uh, Yes, it is. Yeah, as far as having a chance to win the game. Yeah, and I think it's getting better and better every year as we get more, more things that work in our format. Uh, 
Okay, before we sort of wrap this up, I wanted to talk about, I guess, you know, this is something I say on the show a lot, and it's the fact that, like, we often forget. We're talking about cards, building decks, how you do it. We so often leave out the part about playing the game, right? So much of the game is when you have the cards in your hand and you're facing off against your opponent and there's no deck building decisions to be made anymore. Those already got made. Now I'm making decisions about what to do with my cards, what order to play them in, who to attack, when to attack, who, you know, all kinds of in-game decisions and aggro, and I think any strategy, but aggro maybe more than many of them, has a lot of nuance in Commander specifically. And I think one of the keys to being successful with aggro is actually the decisions you make in-game are so much more important. If you're playing a combo deck, some of the little decisions along the way won't matter because if you do combo off, if you chose to counter the wrong thing or whatever, won't matter as much because when you combo off, you just you beat everybody. But aggro might be walking a very thin tight wire act mm-hmm. to like, I got to exact seize that person, get a couple damage here so that on my following turn, I can just get enough damage in before they stabilize. And... Those sort of calculations can be really hard in Commander. Yeah, we're talking about, in in many of these situations, like having someone off by a single turn or a single mana, like tax them of one mana and take advantage of that tiny margin of advantage. Whereas in some of these big decks, you know, you have tons of mana, tons of things to do. You can kind of play a little bit looser because, you know, you have that big influx of mana, that big influx of card draw. You have to be so much tighter in your play when it comes to aggro. And I think, honestly, this is where I'm bad at at aggro because a lot of the things that make me you know want to play and and you know make me feel like i'm decent at playing the other strategies are directly in opposite of what i should be doing with an aggro deck so uh craig has this thing where he talks about playing infect and i think this works for aggro which is like you got to be the junkyard dog which is like once you latch on to that foe you can't let go and i'm really bad at this i'm a spread damage around kind of guy i'm like i want everybody to stay in the game because you're a politics guy too yeah and i'm a politics guy but that will hurt you a lot in aggro and aggro so i think you kind of if you're going to play an aggro deck you kind of got to buy into this idea that yes i'm the aggro deck and i'm going to latch onto an opponent and i'm going to try and knock that opponent out as fast as i can because that's my only chance to win the game if i go dj hit you for 15 mel hit you for 12 craig hit you for eight well, that would have been nearly enough to take out one opponent, but now I've got a bunch of opponents who are all mostly fine. They're mostly fine, and also they're all a little bit worried about you. Yes, or a lot bit. A lot of bit, <laughs> because they they listen to the show and they know that your deck should have reach on it, in it essentially. <laughs> right, and also there's a natural, I think, response, even if, you know, you didn't listen to any shows or strategies, it's just like, that person's scary. Yeah. And so if you just n- knock you, punch you, kick you three different people, they're all going to be like, okay, we got to, yeah, you guys agree that deck's a problem, right? Even if it's like, uh, eventually, obviously the value engine deck is going to win. Mm -hmm. There's the other two decks are still going to look at you because it's like, I don't know, just did 15 out of nowhere. That's scary. It's also a lot of people look at the board for threat assessment and you'll have a lot of stuff on your board in an aggro deck and they're not looking at the engines that are getting set up or the amount of lands that are in play or the cards that are in hand. And so you might appear to be more of a threat than other opponents, even though you might have just curved out and all of your gas is gone. Let me ask you a question. So you're playing an aggro deck. A lot of times you're going to attack and you have the ability to attack any of your opponents. What are some of the things you're thinking about as far as, you know, 
what your game plan is when you're making that first attack because i think that first early attack is very important it's not like with other decks you can kind of be like eh, i ding you for two and it doesn't matter that much and i'm probably gonna hit somebody else later but the dagger deck that first two damage probably means i'm coming after that player until they're gone or i can't come after them anymore I particularly like going after players that leverage their life total. So black players specifically, if your opponent has a bitter blossom, a Phyrexian arena or a greed in their deck, it's going to be great to be able to do a little bit of extra damage to them to hinder their ability to leverage their card advantage later on in the game. So I like looking for those types of players that uh, being at a lower life total could hamper their ability to really do their own game style. So even if you don't completely kill them as they set stuff up, they suddenly can't go crazy with their necropotence mm-hmm. or, you know, their, um, what are the cards? There's a bunch of cards that enter the battlefield and when something dies, they, uh, draw a card Grand packs and stuff. Like, oh, oh uh, grim hero specs. And, uh, all their, another one all too. their recursion type, basically re- almost rewards. every piece of card draw from them. Right. <laughs> or like even things like hatred and stuff like right. that, like they leverage their life totals so much. Um, even if I can't close out the game, if they have dead cards stuck in their hand and they feel like they're under pressure, then they might actually be kind of out of the game on their own and you can close them out at a later time. I like to look around and try and figure out what I think is the most controlly deck and pressure them. They're going to be a huge problem for you if you let them get real late. A more mid-rangey deck you might be on more even footing with mm-hmm. in the middle of the game. So like if there's another creature-based mid-rangey deck, I might not go after them because I'll have more tools to deal with them later. Whereas like a controlly deck, a really value attrition-y deck, if, they, if the wheels start turning on those, they can just bury you later in the game so a lot of times like a mono blue deck is probably the thing i'm going to go after the most because they will be able to shut down my reach later too so what i need to do is pressure them so they have to use all their mana every turn to sort of get afloat and that gives me openings later on yeah when you when you make them commit stuff to the board to block or to sort of shore up their defenses that's when they don't have counter spell up right. that's when they aren't casting dig through time at the end of turn or factor fiction at the end of their turn um so they can be hampered by your aggression yeah and i see i think a lot of players that are playing what are essentially uh aggro decks sort of make that mistake a lot where they kind of get locked onto the wrong deck early and it's like, uh, well, here's what's going to happen. Everybody can see it coming. That deck that's just being ignored is definitely going to win now. Well, I think also a mid-range deck is more likely to be able to stabilize faster than a lot of other decks. Yes, it might be kind of scary and open in the beginning part of the game, but they'll play a relevant four drop or a relevant five drop. You know, whereas some of these other decks... Like a bunch of your little things. Exactly. Whereas some of these other blue decks might have more spells to cast a little bit, a little bit later rather than something that'll blank your board. And also the mid-range deck is probably, if they're a good player, likely to recognize that the mono blue player is going to be a pain in the butt for them too. Nobody likes permission or that kind of thing and help you chip away Mm -hmm. knowing that they're less scared of you because, well, I got a lot of blockers. So what they're doing and that will give you an opening again because against the mid-range deck, you might pull out your alternate win con or something they don't see coming, a big torment of hellfire, what have you. Yeah, so I like to think about what types of decks are at the table and attack them. Now that's when I'm playing uh, aggro responsibly. I'm still very bad at it because I do like to spread damage around. Josh, irresponsible aggro player going out there, just smashing everyone. It's one of the things roll the, the dice with the Greven deck that I'm not very good at because it, it could kill people on like turn six, one person. Oh yeah. 
but I almost never will do it because it just feels bad to me to knock somebody out that early in a game. But then it's like, well, then why didn't am you, I playing a Greven 20, deck? Just the other night, you 20'd someone yeah, with Greven but I didn't instead 21 of 21 Because <laughs> I just can't, I can't bring myself to do it. And I think that means uh, I'm just not really an aggro player at heart. Because if it was Craig, he would definitely kill the person in that. He wouldn't even think that's about the it. Right, the right decision is to kill them. <laughs> right. I just felt bad. It was a five-player <laughs> game. The person wasn't going to have to sit out for a while. Yeah. But you, I think you just got to get rid of that stuff if you're going to play aggro. Otherwise, don't play the aggro deck. I also think that aggro decks could be healthy for your meta, balance things out a little bit. Um, we've we've seen commander games where everyone is playing that big mana dirtle deck and the games stretch on into infinity. And sometimes games need to And they just always end. win, maybe. Well, what are you doing to combat their strategy so they don't always win? Yeah. 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 All right. To the listeners... Have you had any success yourself playing aggro in Commander? And if so, what are your secrets? Are there anything we didn't talk about here that you think is key to playing aggro as an archetype in the format? Uh, would love to hear all of your thoughts. And if you do want to build an aggro deck, then you should go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. If you use that affiliate link when you're ordering your magic products, singles, anything at all, you really are supporting this show. Game Nights, which just came out, I think. Uh, again, the timing <laughs> is always a little bit You've mentioned it twice weird. in this episode, I'm so pretty hopefully sure it came out. Game I'm pretty sure it came out. out. Uh, anybody who's using our affiliate link really is helping with all of our content. And also, if you're buying Ultra Pro products, you're helping with our content, one. But two, you're protecting all of your stuff. You're making your battlefield look awesome. You're making your deck boxes and things like that look really, really sni- spiffy and great. Uh yeah, that's something I know you enjoy about having all your all your stuff look good, DJ. I like having my stuff look spiffy and great. Ultra definitely helps you do that. Uh, and one last call out for our Kickstarter, which is very, 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 very close to ending. So you should get on over there. The, the link is in the show notes. If you want to get our cool Game Nights coins, the t-shirt, there's a bunch of stuff that's only going to be available while this Kickstarter is running. So it's only available for maybe a matter of hours at the point you're listening to this. Thanks, everybody, who's supporting all of our stuff. Okay, now it's time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. I have something cool. I think you'd like it. Ooh, okay. So uh, I talk all the time on this show about my favorite podcast, which is Hardcore History. Yes. It's by a guy named Dan Carlin. Uh, So there's actually two things here. One, there was a new episode of Hardcore History, which just recently came out very cool but also dan wrote a book it's called the end is always near and it's basically him examining the apocalyptic moments for different civilizations and maybe trying to draw some threads and through lines through all of that stuff over the ages he talks about the bronze age he talks about world war ii and everything in between um and dan i actually i usually read books i don't uh all the time do audiobooks. Sometimes I do when I'm traveling or whatever, but it's because it's Dan Carlin's my favorite podcast. I definitely got the book on Audible, and this episode is not sponsored by Audible. Some of ours are, but not this one. But anyway, I got it on Audible, and I listened to it while I was on my way to Command Fest Seattle and back, and... It was like having two episodes of Hardcore History come out in the same month. It was it was bliss. It was great. That's awesome. I'm totally going to listen to that. You should. Yeah. I mean, I know you listen to I'm, Oh, yeah. I'm a huge fan of his as well. And okay. I do like those sort of histories that kind of take you through like different like different time periods. Yes. And I like that theme that sort of like weaves together all those little details. And I can see how he would do that really, really well. Yeah. And it covers a lot of ground, you know, touches on similar things to episodes of Hardcore History from the past. But if you don't listen to that podcast at all, you really can just 
listen or read this book and it, it's self-encompassing so you don't need the context of the other stuff but if you have that context it is interesting because you know i feel like i sort of know dan after all these years and and so getting in there i don't know there's some there's there's uh something that makes me feel comfortable about that i don't know why even though he's talking about apocalyptic <laughs> moments uh, josh i love his smooth voice talking about the end of the world I over just, and over again you know how it is how he draw he, he he just sort of draws a nice line for you and tells a nice story uh, you know history can be you know dry and boring and i think a lot of people just hear the word history and they're not interested but there's a way that dan does it that is very very um i don't know it's it's very interactive and very interesting and it pulls you in so mm-hmm. uh the End is Always Near is the name of the book, and I highly recommend it. All right. Now it's time for the... or No, that was the end step. Now it's time for the cleanup step, where we talk about our sister podcast, The Masters of Modern. Have you played any Pioneer at all? I have not. No. no well, have you? No, I haven't, but I'm, I'm curious to know what's going on, you know? Even though you don't, I don't play the format, it's interesting to hear like what the combos are when you change the card pool and everything like that. I think what's super interesting is that they're implementing weekly bans. Yeah. They're, and so there are bans on bans on bans. And so you need, you can't just go onto a website and look up Pioneer deck lists. It just doesn't work. You right. need sort of that interaction of a podcast to be able to say, this is what's going on right now. This is how the metagame is changing. This is how it's growing because it is like a day-to-day, week-to-week kind of thing. Now, I know Alex Kessler and Ben Bateman, who run the Masters of Modern podcast, are really into modern, but they've also been talking a lot about Pioneer, obviously, because it's very similar. And oh, they so have the skills. Yeah. Like, they've got it. Exactly. Yeah. And the people that know about modern are the most likely people they're going to know about Pioneer. So if you want to know about either of those formats, I would recommend checking them out. Again, it's called the Masters of Modern. You can find them on Twitter at the MMCast, or you can find them right next to us at Collected.Company. Our editing and graphics and logistics team here at the Command Zone, we call them all out now, Craig, because there's a lot of them. Okay. Or sorry, DJ. Craig is the name of the editor for the show. Craig Blanchett, Ashlyn Rose, Alfred Estaca, Terry Robertson, Josh Murphy, Jake Boss, and Sam Waldo. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, team. And special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer that do the living card animations at the beginning and the end of these episodes. Look at this wonderful thing we got behind us. I don't know what card it is, but it's, is it from M20 maybe? I have no idea. It looks great, though. We've got so many of them now because Jeffrey does one or two for every episode of Game Nights. And then for the podcast, we just kind of cycle through them. And uh, yeah, I forget what card each of them is. Great job. But they look sweet. Thank you, Jeffrey. All right, everybody. Thanks for watching. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. We'll see you next time. Peace. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs>